Okay. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. The Chicago Fire are in sixth place. The Chicago Fire are in sixth place. Our striker is 38 years old. All right. Welcome to the Footy Museum and the Footy Museum Podcast. I am Justin Witte, and I am joined, as always, by my co-director, Maria Van Dyke and Lee. Maria, how are you feeling today? How is the Leeds roller coaster treating you today? <laughs> I think we described it as a as a yo-yo last week, and it is a it is a true yo-yo, emotional yo-yo. So we are <laughs> recording on a Monday after, and it's April tenth. So anyone who doesn't know what happened to Leeds this past weekend? Okay, so last Tuesday we had a win against Forest. Everything's looking good. Uh-huh. It Did was great. Did you go to 12th place briefly? It was 13th. Oh. It was lucky 13th. <laughs> oh. And then um, yesterday, Easter Sunday, uh, when I left for Easter service, we were ahead by a miracle header by Patrick Bamford. And then when I got out of Easter service... You were still winning? Uh, I had five goal notifications. <laughs> oh, for Leeds? No, no. Oh. No. No. <laughs> no, for Crystal Palace. Oh. And so... Wah, wah. Oh, 5-1. And now they're sitting just above the line uh-huh. again. Again, I feel... I didn't go back and watch the game. I feel spared. <laughs> uh, it, was a, it was an Easter miracle. Uh-huh. I watched five glorious minutes of that game. <laughs> hey so you got five minutes of victory in. Mm-hmm. that's great um for the for our much smaller mls audience <laughs> um it is marie and i joke our teams can't do well at the same time only and one team can win a week yeah because the um the red stars played the mexican national team and got and got pumped well, five to two that seems fine yeah, it's a I guess that's understood. Yeah, there's a lot of arguments though because a club team regularly plays together. Anyway, they they got trounced in their beautiful black kits they were wearing. But once again, the Chicago Fire did pretty well, and they beat the undefeated Minnesota Loons. This is um, I love this two to one. I, I, two goals by their 38 year old striker Kai Kamar, who played for the Loons at one point. Hasn't he played for everyone? He's played for 10 different MLS teams. (laughs) He is now the leading scorer. But they looked, it was actually compared to the game last week, which was, whoa, it was, it was fun to watch. I mean, they um, were really active at different times, pressing effectively. Uh, They looked dangerous the whole game. So it was a fun game. I can't believe how good it makes me feel. It's so silly. To win? Yeah, just, yeah, it's just like, it, it it flavors the whole week. It's insane, and that's healthy. It <laughs> it's healthy. I have a healthy relationship. My brother people. lives in Minneapolis, so this win feels personal to me. Like but it feels you feel good. Good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it feels good, Michael. If you're listening, uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, Minneapolis. It's like I. It's I don't know. I have a, a rivalry with them in my head too, only because. They're like so clean and um, progressive. <laughs> like do so many things nicely. Because ah! it's such a beautiful city. It's such a beautiful city. It's such a wonderful place. So stupid. <laughs> um, but we're not here to talk about that this week. We are here to talk about Turkish football. Um, so this week we are covering the uh, Turkish Football League and we will have a special guest on later to talk to us about that with some first-hand experience. Um, but quick overview, the Turkish Super League has 19 clubs. They are, like most leagues, on a pro-rel system with three teams going down and three teams going up each season. Uh, they are ranked... The league is ranked fairly high in the world. Um, I saw it listed two different places, 20th in the world or 13th or 12th or 13th. Anyway, but I'm very aware of their presence because they are regularly... Um, teams in Champions League, um, Europa League, a lot of transfers in and out of the Turkish League. So it's definitely a large global league. Uh, The top teams regularly, and these are currently the top three teams, are Gala uh, Tassaray, uh, Fenerbahce, and Besiktas. I always say these wrong, but 
Those are the um, perennial powerhouses. The big three. Um, and before we start, one another notable thing, especially from those top teams, I've seen a lot of footage, but I'm sure it's all the teams. Turkish fans bring the TIFOs. Mm-hmm. I got to say, there are some crazy stadium activations. They really, um, one of the top leagues for just game day experience, it looks like. Would you agree? I would agree. And and was there a club that you focused on? Yes, there oh. is. Okay, so I focused on the club Trabs. Sorry. Apologies to all uh, fans out there for our pronunciations today. I'm just going to put that up. Trabs on Spore FC. Trabs on Spore FC. There's a sneaky Z in there and a sneaky B. It's hard to. Speaking of TIFOs, this is the club that had the recent TIFO honoring uh, the victims of the earthquake and oh. the um, rescue workers. Okay. So that one was going around. So you might know them from that. They play in the city of Trabzon in the north of Turkey along the Black Sea. And you'll see references to kind of the geography in their logo. Um, founded in 1966 and then again in 67 because how they were founded was all the local clubs, the big four local clubs, three of them merged and one of them was like, nah, played one season outside and then the next year they were like, uh-huh, yeah, let, we, let want us, back in. we want back in, let us play. So they had to disassemble and reform. They got promoted to the top tier in 74 and have been playing in the top flight since then and they kind of... Um, what I think is a self-proclaimed, uh, the big fourth, they're the big four. We talked about the big three clubs. Oh, they're, they're, per, they're regularly just outside the top three. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, they had their heyday in the seventies and eighties. Um, but they've got six. Just like me. League. <laughs> okay. Grandpa. <laughs> um, they've got six league wins, um, which is pretty good. Yeah, that's them. Um, oh, so why did, why, what drew you to this club? I'm curious. Okay. So, is it a design based? Yeah, so I was looking over all of the kind of top team logos and I was really impressed by a lot of them. Yeah, but this one, cool this one really jumped out for, um, it felt unique among them. It, uh, what I noticed overall in the, the mix of club designs, every thing felt very like east meets west Mm -hmm. in terms of the design which makes sense Uh uh-huh for turkey um and this one felt uniquely kind of both the modern logo and they've had pretty much the same thing since the 70s um it's a u-shaped background badge with like a a wave shape on the top with an old-fashioned football and then below that... Kind of that football that looks more like a volleyball. A volleyball, a volleyball yeah. football. Yeah. Um, below that is a T and S shape, but the the T, the top of the T is the shape of a river. And it uh, the tail of the T flows in, into kind of a teardrop shape and becomes an S. So, almost, the top of the T almost looks like a landscape. Yeah. And then the bottom and into the S is like a river. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I it's think gorgeous. It's very elegant. Mm-hmm. It, I think it... The the landscape, yeah, the coastal feel is mountainous. And then, like, because this badge is in um, burgundy and blue, it feels very water-like. Yeah. Um, and the colors, originally this team... This is like what West Ham could do with yeah. the logo if they were a little more creative. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the colors, legend has it, they originally played in red and white, but then when they were formed, Aston Villa sent them some kits. Are you serious? Yeah. So thick Aston Villa colors here. Um, and they've had this basic same design, which feels very current, very, very current. Mm-hmm. They've had it since the 80s. And uh, prior to that, their original badge in 67 is like a gold outline medallion shape with kind of like the typical, very like Spanish and Italian T and S sans serif interlocking letters. But it almost looks like a Stuart Davis drawing. It's a little like, it has a playful vibe to it. Mm -hmm. It is still playful. Uh, My favorite, besides the modern logo, is their design from the 70s and 80s, which is the one from the 70s is blue background, burgundy letters, 
and it's very hand-drawn feel with the interlocking T and S. Mm. Yeah. Was well, a childhood star of Oakdale Christian Crusaders. I appreciate the the burgundy and the crest. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the worst name? Of yeah, the that's school? a terrible name. It just it's a highlight into the past. We anyway. were the Seymour Sailors. <laughs> that's a little more innocuous. And the Millbrook Mustangs. And I see that their colors kind of shift between um, the burgundy and and blue, and then burgundy and black, like maroon and black. Yeah, they've got some other colors coming in. I just think that the the Aston Villa colors are so strong. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a good combination. I think that's why you see it a lot of different places. Um, In MLS, that would be the uh, Colorado Rapids. Colorado Rapids. Colorado Rapids. Red Um, leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. (laughs) The Chicago Fire are in sixth place. (laughs) The Chicago Fire are in sixth place. That's awesome. I I also I was also very drawn to that uh, that badge, and I agree. It looks when I saw it without looking into the history of it, I assumed it was a recent rebrand. No, because it's, it's not. so fresh. Well, that is, I really like that as well, and I like that it's the um, the east meets west mm-hmm. kind of feeling because I think like the biggest one of the biggest rivalries in the world, and definitely in Turkish football, is against uh, Galatasaray versus. Fenerbahce, is it? Yeah, and they are technically on two sides of a river. Where one is technically Europe, and one oh. is technically Asia. So it's it's very interesting. It encapsulates a lot of uh, Istanbul and, mm-hmm. and, and Turkish culture. Um, I went a little different direction. I chose one. I chose the team uh, Bosuspor, um, and it's based out of the city of Bursa. I think I'm saying that right. Their colors are green and white. Uh, their shield is not that, I mean, it's it's kind of normal. It is a uh, shield shape with a little kind of round divot at the top. It has green and white stripes at the bottom that has the uh, founding year. And then across the middle, there is a diagonal that has multicolored stars that represent the different teams that merged to form that team in the 60s. And then the top left, there is the... Um, Turkish uh, moon and star with the Turkish colors. But there's two other reasons I was joined, I was uh, drawn to this club, not really tied to the crest because it's, it's, it's fine. It's mm-hmm. like a normal crest. One, they're one of the only non-Istanbul teams to ever win the Super League in 2009, 2010. They were the second team ever. But there's two very interesting stories around this team. You know who the first was? Um, it, was a, it was a different one. <laughs> Trevs von Sur. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, see, I knew that. Yeah. And what? What? What was say that again? Because that didn't sound anything like the team you (laughs) you covered. Okay. Um, But there's an interesting fan base story that I really love. Um, The fans, the fan, the main fan group is called uh, Tejas Texas, or Legend Texas, spelled differently. But they had uh, one of their big ultra leaders Abdulkarim Bayraktar was a big leader of, like of their fan base and he moved to Ankara for um, for study to study so he moved from to a different city and in Ankara he became he began to follow the local soccer team uh, Ankara Gukcho Gucho, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say the Ankara team Ankara okay um, and he started going games and started making connections between the two supporters groups. This was about 1990, but then in 93, he uh, tragically died while he was in the military. Oh. He was, um, his death was attributed to acts by terrorists. Um, and the supporters groups really united around this tragedy, so much so that now during uh, home games, Borsapur supporters chant the name of Ankara's team in the sixth minute of each home game. Every game. Because six is Ankara's city code and Ankara fans chant Bursapur's name at the 16th minute of their home games because 16 is Bursa's city code. And when they play each other, the fan groups sit intermixed. Whoa. And I, I thought that was such an amazing and unique story. So they have a very strong relationship even though they at different times, depending if they're both in the top league, they directly compete. Wow. Yeah. That's inter- That's so interesting because usually you have to keep fans apart by like Oh, yeah. Turkey is no um, 
stranger to kind yeah. of <laughs> very intense, sometimes violent fan action. Um, so I thought that story was amazing. And p- perhaps equally, if not more amazing, is the stadium they opened in 2015. The, the Bursa Metropolitan the, Stadium. The triumph of human <laughs> brotherhood and sisterhood to Well, have you stadium? seen the stadium? <laughs> okay. So the Bursa Metropolitan Stadium, um, which opened in 2015, is a very modern-looking circular stadium. And, you know, as I mentioned, the team's colors are green and white. And whoever was designing the stadium must have noticed, like, hey, this circular stadium that we have covered in green on the outside Mm -hmm. resembles a coiled... um, I'm going to say crocodile. If it's alligator, I apologize. I can't. I I switch those back and forth. And so they went all out. So it looks, imagine the circular stadium green, but then at one point there's a spinoff, which you'd think would be the entrance, but it is in the shape of a crocodile's head with its mouth open with two giant white eyes on top. And during game days, the mouth and the eyes light up. And the artist's renderings of the eyes lighting up is like shooting laser <laughs> lights into the sky. Um, and the inside is equally as fantastic with like the uh, decoration they've done with seat colors. It looks like a state-of-the-art stadium. But it is amazingly playful, um, surreal, um, unlike anything I've seen because it's clearly a very expensive, contemporary, top-league stadium that they were allowed to just be like, oh, Let's make Looks it. like this animal. Let's let's like really lean into it. Or let's, maybe that was the basis of the idea. But I anyone listening, I suggest to go check out the renderings or just photos because it is amazing. I think it's amazing. For a, a time in history when stadiums are all very like deliberately modern and geometric and like we're gonna make it look like it's from Star Trek. It is countercultural. It is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I actually came across that first. Um, and I thought it was, I saw it online somewhere and I thought it was a joke. I thought it was not, um, that it wasn't true because who would do that? A person, only the best people in only the world the best would people do that. With amazing imaginations who love laser shooting crocodiles. <laughs> um, so anyway, also it's, I mean, there are other coiled animals. It is a crocodile's mouth, yeah. <laughs> like it could have been a dragon or it could have been a snake, but they went crocodile. They went And cro- that is a choice. Oh, and not just crocodile, but crocodile with glowing mouth and eyes. And it also has hosted national games as well. It looks like a fantastic stadium, but that mouth, which also has steel supports at angles as, you uh-huh. know, the triangle's the strongest shape, but in the mouth, so it looks like teeth. <laughs> I love it. I want to go to a game there. And it is surreal, which is a perfect um, segue to our guest today, um, who is an art historian and professor at Columbia College Chicago, and most recently, or very recently, gave a lecture on the surrealist Salvador Dali at the Art Institute of Chicago. Um, never heard of it. Yep. Never heard of him. Never heard of it. Anyway, and that shows up now. So we're here with owner Ozturk. Um, who has been a huge fan of uh, Turkish football, um, has been in Chicago. How long have you been? I think I moved to Chicago in 2007. Okay. Uh, so it's 16 now, 16 2007. years. Um, but still follows the league very closely, it sounds like. So uh, welcome to the Footy Museum owner. Thank you. Thank you so <laughs> much, guys. I'm excited about this uh, because I mostly talk about art history, which is always fun, but... I think this is my first time talking about soccer in the United States. Oh, really? Yes. I think, you know, chats and everything, but like on a recorded (laughs) (laughs) session. On the record. Yes, exactly. So before we start, could you give our listeners a little um, sense of your background? So like where you grew up, um, how you started following a team, what team it is that you follow, um, and you know, what you, what you do now. Yeah, sure. So, um, I was born in Ankara, which Mm -hmm. is the capital city of Turkey. 
Uh, but my father was a doctor in the military, okay. uh, which means a lot of moving around. <laughs> <laughs> and my love for soccer started in a small town called Amasya. Okay. Um, so in case, you know, our listeners may not know, in Turkey, soccer is huge. Yeah. Um, and there's even a joke that soccer is the number one religion in Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, especially, it's also a little bit masculine, just to be honest. Like, yeah, you know, sure. so if you're a boy and if you don't like soccer, um, you really lose a way of connecting with mm-hmm. a lot of people, both in your generation, but also older people. So in Amasya, uh, home t- home team was a big thing. It was They were in the third league. Um, oh, but wow. My dad would do, used to bring me to the games. So that's when I just really got into it, like with the fans and yeah. with all that excitement going on with <laughs> the other third league teams. Um, so that's that's a little bit of uh, where I grew up. But later I went to college in Ankara. So we went to a lot of games in Ankara, uh, where I also studied eventually architecture and architectural history. Mm-hmm. And my adventure in U.S. Uh, started in 2002 uh, when I came to University of Texas at Austin. Okay, uh, that's where I uh, my love for American football started <laughs> because you know it has such a football culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess my interest in the sports is also because they are so essential for those individual cities and their cultures, Mm -hmm. um, identities. I I like popular culture. Uh, I was never like, you know, I don't want to do this popular thing. I actually really wanted to dive into it and understand and use it as an opportunity to connect with people. Yeah, absolutely. That's really, I think, what interests us as well. And you, as you were saying, being a young boy, I think it's still true. Um, not just for men, but for women as well, that um, soccer is a language that gives you access across a lot of mm-hmm. different boundaries, geographical, political, financial. I think it is one of the truly like universal, yeah, la- not just languages, but events, because yeah. there's nothing followed as intensely across Globally, the world. Globally, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And it's increasing so much now that we can watch Basically, well, we're spoiled here in the U.S. We can watch basically mm-hmm. any any league at any time we want to. So I can definitely relate to that. But but you said you started in the, um, how you started, but that's not the team you follow now. No. So, <laughs> yeah. So you're here in, in your kit. You brought us a, a wonderful scarf. You yeah. want to tell our listeners who you follow? Sure. So I'm a huge fan of Besiktas, and. <laughs> I didn't start there, just to be perfectly honest. <laughs> and in Turkish culture, that's a huge thing. Like, nobody admits they ever switch a team. Oh, of course not. <laughs> of course not. Like, that, otherwise, you will be teased for the rest of your life for <laughs> switching sides. Um, but I actually started supporting a local team, Amasya Spor, in the third league. But yeah. also, because I was from Ankara... Uh, my father said we should support an Ankara team. Yeah. Uh, and Ankara has two really good teams. One of them is Ankara Gücü. Uh, the other one is Gençler Birli. So I was a fan of Gençler Birli. Um, that was a really young team. They were good at like recruiting talents. Yeah. And they were doing decent, but they never won a title in their entire history. Um, so in Amasya, I was teased a lot because in Turkey, everybody supports either Fenerbahce, Galatasaray, or Beşiktaş. Right. And so not supporting one of those teams, I got teased a lot. And eventually I gave up. And <laughs> <laughs> so either, I mean, you had no choice. You get teased for switching teams. You get teased for not supporting. Exactly. Team. There's exactly. no choice. Oh, absolutely. And um, the reason I switched to Besiktas is because uh, my cousin and my uncle are like really hardcore Besiktas fans. Okay. So I thought that would be a they good chance you. to connect them. Uh, and then my brother followed me uh, and then he joined the team. Uh, and the other side of the family is hardcore Fenerbahce uh. fans. So, you know, that there was a nice, good rivalry going on. Um, we didn't know back then, but apparently my dad was a actually a secret Galatasaray fan for <laughs> his entire life. And I actually discovered that way, way later. Have you worked through that trauma? Um, 
No, I think it, I think it was fine. We had a suspicion, like it's like you know. How did you find out? <laughs> it's like in the family, you always had a sense, like when somebody's hiding something. Yeah. So, yeah. He so every was time Galatasaray find... was playing, he disappeared in the bathroom with yeah. his phone. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, you've been in there a while. What's going on? He was always a little bit more empathetic to Galatasaray, you know, when they yeah. were suffering in the league and looked a little cheerful. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually, my uncle, uh, his elder brother, told me, "Like, you, look, son, he, he was always a Galatasaray fan, and he did it just to just to tease me. Like, you know, it was his way of like getting back at me. <laughs> so, and yeah, now he admits that he's a Galatasaray fan. But every time Beşiktaş wins a title, I actually go to social media and I have a couple pictures of my dad with the Beşiktaş hats I took in the past. So I post them on social media and I tell them, you know, my dad is a huge Beşiktaş." <laughs> <laughs> and everybody loses like all the friends like I thought you were a Galatasaray fan and you know how did this happen <laughs> so that's how you you were somewhat recruited to Besiktas yes. um, but you also wanted to be you know one of the top to follow one of the top teams because that's exciting you know exactly. chances to play in, in uh, Champions League Europa League things like that exactly. but what what um so that's how you started, but yeah. what what drew you in? Like what big because yeah. you are clearly a, a big fan. Yeah. yeah. Was it? Um... So I think there are different phases of this. Initially, that was like that was in the nineties, right? And mm-hmm. that was the time when Besiktas was really huge. Uh, they had this trio of Turkish players. Uh, their names are Metin Ali Feyaz. Uh, later, they became like good good you know tech, tech team like uh, t- coaches and oh, that yeah, kind yeah. of stuff um, commentators now but uh, back then they were this trio amazing trio constantly giving assists and uh, scoring goals so there's yeah. all this cheerful about Metin Ali Feyaz uh, even today, like when Besiktas suffers, uh, fans, when they get really frustrated, they start cheering for Metin Ali <laughs> Like So it's a kind of intergenerational right. thing now. Uh, and also back then, there was Gordon Mill, this really cool uh, British coach yeah. uh, of Besiktas back then. Um, also their... Uh, president, uh, he was like amazing guy. He's still a legend. He passed away many years ago, Suleiman Seba. So there is this like a number of really cool personalities that, that attracted you. me, that really helped me at that point. But gradually, my love for Besiktas grew stronger um, because going to some actual games and things like that. Um, Besiktas fans are much more from the middle class, working okay. class. And also, uh, in later years, uh, I discovered that the fans are much more progressive, which oh. I personally like. Yeah, yeah. So um, is that how you def- like start to define the culture of the club? Yes. Yeah. like I think particularly during some moments in Turkish politics and history, Besiktas fans were not shy to uh, voice their opinions. Mm, okay. And I kind of felt good about it because, you know, Turkish democracy has a long, complicated history. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to visit Turkey this summer, so I don't want to go into some <laughs> deep, complicated We topics. have a, a lot of listeners in Turkey. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I really like how uh, Beşiktaş fans were uh, always... Uh, on the side of fighting against racism, sexism, yeah. any kind of discriminatory practices. Uh, they were uh, strong. Uh, there's especially a group called Charshe. Uh, okay. they, they, uh, it's actually a district of the... Besiktas is a district of Istanbul. So within that, there's a portion called Charshe, which literally means market. Uh, but Charshe is also this fan base in Besiktas that very much leads the discussion about like oh. what kind of uh, attitude the fans should have, what kind of cheers uh, and that kind of stuff. So especially with my cousin, we got really into it. Like yeah. we, would, we would follow the latest cheer and what kind of message does, does that have and that kind of stuff. So there's this whole culture um, that is beyond like the actual game on, mm-hmm. this, on the pitch. It's a whole a full community. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's amazing. You know, we were speaking to a supporters group for a brand new team last week, but they had been they had been around in different earlier iterations of the club in St. Louis when they had tried lower league clubs. Mm-hmm. 
and they just started an MLS team and we kind of were asking about the relationship with the club and they were talking about how important it was that they have a relationship but stay separate because their identity, their mission, their mm-hmm. actions have to have their own mm-hmm. um, kind of authenticity mm-hmm. and power. And that's the thing I noticed about so many clubs. Mm-hmm. And it's great uh, with Besiktas. Beshik- I always say it wrong. <laughs> I apologize. No, this is great. Yeah, um, you got it. Is that um, to hear that it is kind of uh, progressive and... Uh, positive mm-hmm. because we've also covered a lot of teams where it's the opposite mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and i know you know not you talk about as a kid noticing soccer is very masculine and mm-hmm. what boys talk about mm-hmm. sometimes it's like toxically masculine mm-hmm. as well and i'm wondering the the culture overall in um, turkish football mm-hmm. how would you describe that it's is is your club kind of a standout different mm-hmm. culturally than mm-hmm. the rest of the league or is is um uh, is it a mix, but team by team having very distinct personalities? Yeah, I think what I'm what I have been noticing, and that that was always there for Besiktas, but we are seeing more uh, women uh, fans yeah. uh, in in the stadiums in Turkey, but definitely more on the Besiktas side. So it depends on the team, but in general, I think there is a there is a good trend there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think still soccer is. Um, is hyper masculine in Turkish culture. Okay. Um, part of it is because I think the visual culture is structured around that, like men watch soccer, women watch series. Sometimes there is some kind of transition, mm-hmm. but that's not always communicated in the most clear way. There are, of course, um, many uh, many women soccer fans, but I think I think it's still hyper masculine in that regard there there are definitely changes we have like women referees for instance mm-hmm. in turkish super league uh but i don't think it's at a level for instance what i observe in the united states uh, yeah. uh, one of my funny uh experiences with soccer and the hyper masculinity in turkish culture versus like how it is different in american culture i work for an excavation in uh turkey that was the uh, project of Oxford and NYU. Okay. So we got a lot of like friends, colleagues coming from uh, England and United States. And of course, you know, after a day, it's kind of always fun to play some games. So we were having the soccer game and some of our archaeologists, uh, women archaeologists joined the game. And then uh, some of the Turkish men were kind of like, oh, you know, they were looking down and then they play amazing. Like they <laughs> definitely kick everybody's butt because it was very clear they were like um, super technical yeah. <laughs> in what, we were, what they were doing. Um, so it was, it was really shocking for them. Uh, but I actually really loved the U.S. Uh, female soccer team. I think yeah. they have been doing amazing. I actually really like... Um, what they were doing also outside of the field. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, they've really done a lot for the game globally. I yes, absolutely. Yeah. But I think Turkey has a long way to go in that regard. Uh, the Women's uh, Soccer League is revived in recent years, mm-hmm. but compared to what male soccer is, mm-hmm. there's still a huge gap in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so in regards to the, the club culture and... Um, the fandom surrounding it, how does that translate into the game day experience oh, when you're yeah. in the stadium and watching the game? Yeah. So I think I think it may have changed a little bit because, you know, as I confessed before our interview, the last live game I have been a part of was like 20 years ago. Um, it also depends on the city and the culture, that particular culture, because sometimes when we look at other countries, we assume that there's a monolithic culture, but Turkish soccer culture is a great example of that. It may actually change quite dramatically. In places like especially Istanbul teams do have some pre-game drinking culture, Mm -hmm. but that's not necessarily the case like in a small conservative Mm -hmm. town. Like my parents live in Kayseri, for instance, one of the most conservative towns 
Um, I don't think there is a, a pre-game drinking, drinking yeah. um, before that. And if there is, it is probably hidden somewhere okay. in the cars <laughs> and things like that, which happens in a lot of rural Turkey, like in the weddings and stuff. People, people, people keep going back to their cars <laughs> and suddenly come back very happy. And, <laughs> and, the, and the elders kind of don't really understand how that is happening. But there is this whole thing. Uh, but in places like Beşiktaş, there is actually a drinking culture around it. Uh, at least some of the fans like to sit down and have some rock, especially big in Turkey, yeah. um, and then uh, go to the stadium together and cheer cheer the team up. Uh, Turkish fans like to go there in advance, so it's not like some parts of Europe where people go at the very end, like right before the game. Yeah. Um, I remember in my childhood, our uncle would drag us to the stadium literally like seven, eight hours before oh the game. Because What'd he would, you do in, while you were waiting? Because he would be worried like we wouldn't get the seats. So, oh. <laughs> so my aunt would bring sandwiches and Just, uh, like <laughs> so it would be like basically picnic at the stadium, waiting, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So you, you would... You would like that would be also sometimes uh, music concerts uh, in some cases, but um, I don't know. I don't remember. That sounds like a very long time to <laughs> chill. But I guess we were excited, so it was. It's a whole it, experience. It was okay, yeah, yeah, it was a whole experience. When we grew up and when we went to games together with my cousin, we we didn't go like seven eight hours in advance, but it was still at least like a couple hours in advance. Um, part of it was the whole getting into stadium required a lot of security yeah. clearance and all that kind of stuff. Um, but also, you know, just the feel, the place, feel the mm. atmosphere. Yeah, well, there's, there's, you know, some of the most intense rivalries in uh, global football are in Turkey, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't Galatasaray and, and Fenerbahce like one of the top? Yes. The top derbies in the world really right yes. and um i know the history between those two some of those games get pretty intense between the fans um who is your top rival and what is, what what is what are games like when you're playing that rival so fenerbahce galatasaray and beşiktaş are considered the top, the top three. three yeah uh, but you know if you look objectively Galatasaray had the most championships, mm -hmm. but also only Turkish team ever won a European Cup. So let's be honest, I, I would put Galatasaray number, number one, one and Fenerbahce number two, just simply based on the championship. Uh, but also Fenerbahce arguably has the largest fan base okay. in Turkey. Um, but Beşiktaş fans, we are actually pretty mature about it. We never like think this is a big deal because uh -huh. Beşiktaş fans are like really passionate. Um, comparable teams, in my opinion, uh, would be Atletico Madrid uh, okay. in Spanish League or also Liverpool mm -hmm. uh, in the British League, right, Premier League. So just below, but like real hardworking, yeah, like, tougher, like more relatable. Exactly. Yeah. And the fans don't really care if the championship is not earned that year. Right. But it's more about enjoying genuinely about the football and the culture and right. all of that. Like my Fenerbahce relatives, they get decimated when they lose a championship. Mm. They get so demoralized. And, you know, we don't like to, to lose a game, <laughs> but but it's ultimately, it's actually what Beşiktaş is about, right? Yeah. Enjoying really that moment that also involves, of course, defeats uh, <laughs> in some cases. But in terms of rivalries, um, obviously, yes, Fenerbahce, Galatasaray fans yeah. are the most popular. And I will give you a Chicago example to demonstrate it. Uh, there is a lovely Turkish coffee house in North Chicago okay. where you can go and watch games. Obviously, there are other ways to watch your games now. You can stream it, and it's actually, it became pretty affordable. But going there and watching with all the other Turkish fans is kind of fun. So whenever there is a Fenerbahce Galatasaray fan, that place is huge, <laughs> like packed, oh, like crazy. Yeah. And I know the owner, he always talks about like how it was so crazy and tiring. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> and it gets a little, little, a little, little tense in <laughs> sometimes and all of that. And every time I go there, I, I stop watching the game. I start watching people <laughs> so, because I'm kind of, 
am I that into this? Like, is this little, yeah, the drama playing out. Oh it's a little gosh. interesting, but yeah, arguably that's the biggest game. However, uh, I think Besiktas Fenerbahce as well as Besiktas Galatasaray games are also considered uh, yeah. derby games uh, uh, t- because, again, all Istanbul teams Absolutely. and mm-hmm. top teams. And there was actually a very exciting uh, Fenerbahce Besiktas game literally like 10 days ago oh. uh, where Besiktas won an away <laughs> game with 10 people. Uh, oh, wow. So that was a, a huge, card away and, oh, wow. <laughs> huge thing. So I have been teasing my relatives for the last... Um, 10 days roughly <laughs> about that. <laughs> but um, in addition to that, there's also uh, a Black Sea region team called Trabzon Sport. They yes. won the league uh, last year. Uh, so Trabzon games with any of these teams would be a big game. Uh, there's another Istanbul team, a late comer, but also they won a title a few years ago called Istanbul Başakşehir. Um, they were especially, I'm not going to go into too much politics, <laughs> but they did get some, a lot of like uh, municipality and government support. So yeah. they um, they formed a good team and they have, their games have been kind of exciting when, yeah. whenever these teams are playing. Also a little bit of political <laughs> reasons. Um, Bursa Spor used to be a really good team, but I think now they are in the second league. They hmm. uh, they dropped to the... No, they, in 2020, they dropped, but because of COVID, they... they yeah. um, they didn't. Yeah. They revoked the relegation. Yeah. Um, but, but they were in the bottom of the league. Yeah. yeah currently. And yeah, also because they have that awesome stadium there. Like, you know what? You can stay. <laughs> it's probably more about the stadium than about the company. Yeah. That's actually an interesting thing. Like something I didn't have a chance to experience. But Turkish stadiums, um, almost all of them got rebuilt uh, in the last two decades. Okay. Uh, and Bursa Sports Stadium was one of those. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think I think that's a good thing. That's a good thing because they were able to achieve the standards uh, of the especially European Cups. Absolutely. There was sometimes a challenge for some of the teams. They had to travel to other cities for right. that. But also, you know, there is demand. Uh, so a bigger, better stadiums definitely They're fulfill that mm-hmm. purpose. And the, um, the atmosphere in those stadiums looks pretty amazing. And it seems like when we regularly look at the type of TIFOs making the round yeah. and social, like, oh my gosh, look what these fans did. Turkey's regularly... Turkish clubs are definitely always mm-hmm. in the mix. And I don't know if you have any insight to why the kind of um, visual fan culture, TIFO mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. with um, Turkish ultras is so strong. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Yeah, I don't know if my memory is challenging me, but the TIFO culture was not that strong when I left the okay. country. Uh, and I have been following that. Uh, I'm not watching games as often, but I'm definitely... Uh, catching all the summaries, which right. is, by the way, much more available now. If mm-hmm. any listeners are interested, if you just simply Google Super League, you can uh, find all these summaries. Um, the English commentators are sometimes Turkish native speakers, and there's <laughs> some people get very frustrated with them because they <laughs> narrate the game in a very Turkish style, just in English, <laughs> which includes like repeating the same name of the soccer player like five times in a row. <laughs> but um, you can actually watch it, some of those visual displays. I think uh, that became particularly popular, and this is, again, my theory, uh, with the rise of social media. I think that was a good way of making uh, an impact, uh, and then, uh, you know, it became a global phenomenon. Uh, And I have been following them, too. Like, uh, I'm not a huge uh, fan of Galatasaray for obvious reasons, but Galatasaray did some <laughs> pretty, some crazy, pretty stuff, yeah. crazy ones. I love the one uh, they have. Their legendary coach Kerim comes like uh, angry fashion yeah. and moves on, <laughs> moves and, like that kind yeah. of stuff. The animation of yeah. this is really impressive. Exactly, <laughs> Trabzon fans did some pretty amazing ones. But I have to say, uh, Turkish fans were always interested in this kind of converting their stadium into this kind of um, visually overwhelming place uh, for the, especially away team. And um, part of it is also that culture where the fans like to 
not just limit it to the 90 minutes, but also think about it like an entire week of preparation, like getting together, preparing some banners, Mm -hmm. which was always a big thing in Turkey, like these huge banners and flags and things, that kind of stuff, and then using that in the stadium. So I think that is just another level of engaging with the team, but also bonding with people through mm. that team, like through that kind of visual display. I think there's an audio aspect of it too, because Turkish chants, um, they evolve. They you constantly evolve. And Beşiktaş is actually one of those teams that is known to be, like the fans known to be uh, some of the most creative. Okay, with the chants. Yeah. yeah, with the chants. Um, chants sometimes can be uh, graphic in nature, <laughs> which which has been uh, an issue with the Turkish Federation in recent years, uh, soccer yeah. federation. So there were some like warnings and bans and uh, fees to the uh, teams. But they're also in many ways very creative. Sometimes they reflect like Turkish people's love of uh, songs like uh, popular songs uh-huh. they may be integrated sometimes they are like just brand new ma- melodies created for the fans and I feel like especially uh, players from other countries who end up playing in Besiktas they feel it they love yeah. it and um, in the uh, current Besiktas stadium I can't remember the exact year but this was probably like a 10, 10 years ago in a European Cup game uh, Besiktas fans uh, broke the record of the decibel. Oh my gosh! Yeah, the, the loudest stadium. <laughs> yeah, the loudest stadium. Um, so that's definitely like uh, I remember there was a Leip- Leipzig Besiktas game, okay. and one of the players had to leave the field because so literally loud. his ears were hurting so bad. <laughs> that's <laughs> he, the effect you want. Yeah, he had to leave. <laughs> and guess the other team. <laughs> exactly, and guess what? Besiktas won that game. Uh, yeah. Didn't qualify for the. I think we did qualify for the second round that year. It was a Champions League game. Yeah. Uh, but it's just like that atmosphere is so important for many Turkish fans. But Besiktas is especially famous for that. But kicking in my architectural historian okay. side, <laughs> I just want to say if any listeners travel to Istanbul, the Besiktas Stadium is also in a very interesting architectural oh, yeah? piece because it is literally right by the Bosphorus, oh. by the sea. Oh. So it's actually a really pretty Beautiful. stadium. Uh, and... It, it was originally uh, called Inönü Stadium, the second president of Turkey, um, and it was one of those kind of many projects in early Turkish Republic that was part of like modernization. And when they uh, were building the new stadium, it was really important not to put there something like over-imposing because yeah. such a beautiful part of Istanbul yeah. uh, where all these... Uh, Insulas, semi-insulas are coming together. Uh, so they did a great job, I think, in terms of architecture. So um, listeners may want to so just check Google that up. And yeah. you have to follow Besiktas now. That's the only <laughs> option. Um, no, I definitely have heard from uh, players who've moved, like uh, a, a, a Canadian player who played in MLS for a long time, Kyle Lahren, who mm-hmm. uh, played in Turkey. Uh, who's, who did he, did he play for? Yes. Sorry, yeah. And he's done very well. Yeah. Um, He's a great player. Um, But I remember when he first went, he was, especially coming from MLS. Yeah. And when he came from MLS, it wasn't even as developed as it is now. Yeah. But the... um, the atmosphere and the volume and the intensity, I remember him commenting on quite a bit. Um, Yeah. So he's one of your guys. Exactly. And (laughs) the reason... So you're a big Kyle Laren fan. (laughs) The reason why Kyle Lahren ended up in Besiktas is because of another player that I'm actually more fan of. (laughs) (laughs) And that's Atiba Hutchinson. Oh, Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he was the one uh, who came to Besiktas pretty quietly. Uh, There was not that much like media frenzy, which which is, by the way, another thing. Like in Turkey, Soccer culture never stops. Uh, so right. during the summer, it's Transfer. all about transfers. So when a player comes to Turkey, 
uh, like when Rick Hurst came to Turkey, like right. you know, huge gathering yeah. and all of that. Adipa Hutchinson came relatively quiet, and some fans even like, who is this guy? Like, do yeah. we really need him and everything? And then he was amazing. He was instantaneously. Uh, a great addition to the team. And then he played for many, many years. Uh, he's still, I think, technically in the quad. Uh, but then he was the person who actually uh, played a role, I believe, Kyle Lerin okay. ended up uh, in Besiktas. I have to say, though, like players like Lerin, um, they do really well in Besiktas. Uh-huh. And I think fans play a critical role in that. They really motivate really individual yeah. players. They even make like special chants for yeah. the special players based on their favorite songs and things like that. The stadium plays that song. Um, that happened with one Rick Hurst. Um, and he did great like uh, in the first part of the season. And as you know, now he's in Manchester United and he's really struggling. Yeah. And I think... I think that sometimes plays a role. Like some players who did amazing in Besiktas, sometimes they get a jump in their career, but not necessarily get the same feeling. And this is obviously my biased subjective opinion, but I think no. not having that kind of supportive environment is totally unbiased opinion. <laughs> well, I think in science. The, there's a. Um, a U.S. soccer commentary named David Goss. Yes. And he he's developed the Goss theorem, which is essentially because in uh, the U.S. soccer system is very unusual and has a lot of flaws. But one thing is MLS brings in very high-paid players, just a few for each team, mm-hmm. designated players. And oftentimes they struggle the mm-hmm. first year because the cultural changes the change of the league everything's so different and at the same time you're trying to find a house you're trying to get of course uh, a bank you're trying to do all this stuff on top of all this expectation so the goss theorem is that um these type of players it usually takes at least a year before Mm -hmm. you can see if they've made it or not you can't judge their first year Mm -hmm. you just have to throw it out there's just too much going Mm -hmm. on because like in Chicago, maybe that's Shakiri's issue. Yeah. Or that he's so old. That his calves are just weighing him down. Um, but I think that's the struggle for a lot of players in Turkish Super League because the fans are usually very impatient uh, with that. Mm. Uh, I think, yeah. and even with the coaches, like uh, if you look at the Turkish Super League, coaches come and go very easy. Like even the ones who just won a title after like 10 games that are not very impressive, uh, suddenly he's out, right? Yeah. So I think, I and that would be my criticism, obviously, uh, very impatient uh, administrations and also very impatient yeah, fans in some cases, except Besiktas, of course, we are <laughs> awesome. We're the most loving, <laughs> welcoming, <laughs> nurturing Yeah, we, we wait for 15 weeks. <laughs> Instead of 10. <laughs> so if I was, if I, you know, I'm, you brought us a Besiktas scarf, so we're now officially fans. Yes. Is there a few key things we need that every fan needs to know about the club? Oh. Like who, like most revered all-time player, perhaps, most oh, historic yeah. moment? Just three. Can you think of three? Three oh, things and a chant. Three things and a chant. Yeah. There yeah. we go. Yeah. So and you def- have 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely uh, Suleiman Seba, S E B A. He is the president. He was the president, yeah, the legendary president. Yeah. And he was such a cool guy. So that's definitely one of them. Um, I would definitely put our uh, stadium and the district of Besiktas okay, yeah. in okay. Istanbul as a part of that culture. Um, I think the third one would be that trio I mentioned. Yes. Metin Ali Feyaz. Um, they were together. They they were amazing. And that's the time when Besiktas won most of their uh, okay. teams. Dream. But I would also add Sargan, uh, who was uh, some of one of our recent coaches, but also a very legendary player. Okay. Uh, he s- scored two goals against Chelsea in Champions League oh. in an away game. Oh, he wow. absolutely yeah. shocked, <laughs> shocked Chelsea at his highest. He was yeah. he was such a uh, wonderful player to watch uh, when he was playing. Uh, he was, <laughs> in some days, he was very lazy and he he, he always admits that to himself. He's, he was a complicated uh, player and he's still a complicated coach, I think. But he was always a pleasure to watch. So definitely Sargan is like every Besiktas fan knows about it. That's why most of us get like number 10 because okay. that was Sargan. 
What was the last part of your oh, question? Oh, the chant. <laughs> the chant. You need to learn a yeah. chant. Yeah, this is the one I'm trying to teach uh, to my kids. I think they're <laughs> simple, uh, straightforward. That's good. So That's good we, for start, us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we start with the colors. So it's going to be like black and white and then champion Peshiktash. Yeah. Uh, so simple. So Sia is the black, okay? Sia. Sia. Beaz. Beaz. Champion. Champion. Beşiktaş. Beşiktaş. And you would ch- chant it in the stadium like Siyah, champion, champion, Beşiktaş. Yer siyah, gök beyaz, şampiyonsun Beşiktaş. Ole, ole. And it goes on like oh, that. I love yeah. it. I feel like I'm there. Um, the last, uh, we have to wrap up soon, but the last thing we should mention, a, a lot of people who follow... The news, but also uh, soccer, know of the devastating effects of the earthquakes Absolutely. recently on um, infrastructure, but also players who, who sadly lost their Absolutely. lives. And I was wondering, um, both in the country and maybe the country reflected through the league, how, what is your sense on the recovery from yeah. uh, that, that really huge tragedy? Absolutely, tragedy. yeah. yeah. Um, first of all, my heart goes to all the victims yeah. and the survivors of the earthquake. And if anybody is interested, there's a wonderful U.S.-based nonprofit organization called Bridge to Turkey. A mm-hmm. um, couple of close friends are uh, taking key roles in that organization, and they have been helping the earthquake victims from day one. Uh, so if anybody is interested, please Google and find that out. Um, I think it will take a while. Uh, yeah. it, is, it is a reality of our country. Uh, we have roughly one-third of the country in the first-degree region, and this was definitely one of the most devastating earthquakes in, in the history of the region. Um, and the recovery is, is getting there. I think it will take some time again, uh, but uh, the region still needs some attention, both locally and internationally. Uh, the teams, uh, two teams are uh, directly affected from this. Uh, so they are uh, Gaziantep and Hatay Sport. They are mm-hmm. out for this year. Uh, the Turkish Federation, Soccer Federation, decided that they are going to keep them in the league for next year. Yeah. So hopefully they can recover from all of this. They also uh, created an opportunity for their existing players uh, to play on loan from other teams. So uh, other teams have been jumping in. So a number of those players are currently playing in other teams. Okay. So that's kind of good. Um, but I think I think teams are going to be okay. The region will need some uh, attention. There's definitely a need for some more long-term housing uh, in the region. Uh, so hopefully with the support of Turkish people, but also... Uh, international aid, um, Turkey will get there. But I think this is also a good wake-up call, uh, both for Turkey, but, you know, any country dealing with this. So in Istanbul now, there is much more attention to buildings that are risky for this kind of earthquake. Mm -hmm. So I hope we learn our lesson from this. But again, my heart goes to all the victims and survivors of the earthquake. Well... As a newly um, christened Besiktas fan, I just want to thank you for coming yes. on the yeah. pod. Thank you, <laughs> you so are much. very welcome. <laughs> it was a pleasure, yeah, and I, I look forward to going to the uh, the the location. Where where did you say that location was in Chicago? Where you watch all the games? What's the oh name yeah, of it? there is a Turkish coffee house. It it's really called Turkish coffee house. Turkish coffee uh, house. It's right at the intersection of Lawrence and Rockwell. Uh, oh, it's, okay. uh, yeah, it's oh, not Turkish Chicago, and um, it, it's it's kind of you you now they have a sign. Back in the day, they didn't have a sign, so you can <laughs> actually no. you can actually go there, and you know I would recommend uh, the. Little pitas called lahmacun. That's pretty good. Oh, and okay. Tea, well, we tea is fresh tea always to mm. go right. in a, in any Turkish place. Sounds like a great place to catch a game. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Did you want to add anything else? Ria's not usually an early I'm morning person. I'm not an early morning person. <laughs> I know it's close to 10 o'clock. So. <laughs> um, it's, it's just wonderful having you in the studio with us. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for bringing your energy and telling your stories. I love hearing your stories from when you were young. And um, 
I think it really just brings every time we hear somebody's stories about going to their favorite club yeah. or the club they support, it brings like new life to um, fan culture for me and like our understanding of how soccer impacts people's lives yeah, on a really uh, base level. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. I absolutely understand. Now I have two young ones, so I cannot afford not to be a morning person. <laughs> but, so uh, I, I miss that. So I'm a little bit jealous of that. <laughs> it's also because of them, I can't always watch the games live. Yeah, so true. I am now back to like 70 years uh, listening from the Turkish radio. Oh, <laughs> like, that's kind of great too. That's in, in a way that has its own thing too. I actually enjoy it because uh, particularly some experienced narrators, they do a really great job. Yeah. And then sometimes like you watch the summary and then you're like, this is not as not nice as I, yeah. <laughs> I experienced it uh, as an audio experience. So uh -huh. thank you so much for inviting me. This yeah. was such a pleasure. That wraps it up for this week. If you want to find out more of what we're doing, you can go to thefootymuseum.com and make sure to follow us at The Footy Museum. Uh, we have other podcasts with other interesting guests as well. And you can also keep up with all of our other projects. So uh, until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you.